You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Today on Line Noise, we welcome none other than Ronnie Size to the microphone, a producer who has had more drummer-based hits than you've had awkward breakfasts with your partner's parents. We talked about jazz, the Wild Bunch, Represent Method Man, and so much more. Uh, thanks to the people at the Hospitality in the Woods Festival for setting this up. Uh, the festival takes place in Beckenham Place Park on August 19th. Uh, with a stellar drummer-based lineup, including Ronnie himself, High Contrast, Dillinger, Brian G, Jumpin' Jack Frost, and LTJ Bookham, uh, which is pretty uh, amazing. I think you will agree. Thanks very much to them for setting up this interview, um, and go and check it out. So, um, yeah, thanks for doing. This. Thanks a lot for doing this today. I've, I was just thinking I've been listening to your music for like the best part of um, three decades. So it's great to speak to you. Yeah, well, it was a pleasure being on the call, bro. Nice one. So, like, am I right in saying tonight you are playing, um, you're supporting the Outlook Orchestra, who are doing an orchestral history of drum and bass? Yeah, that's correct. In about three hours. Are you just DJing normally or are you part of the whole orchestral thing? No, I'm just um, doing a DJ set with Dynamite. But I wouldn't say it's normally. I would just say that, like, as we speak, I'm trying to... Um, put together a bit of a eclectic set which is going to represent the a bit of the new a bit of the nostalgic uh the you know the way that i started and playing in front of a bristol audience is always a challenge massive challenge i mean they expect so much from uh, from me because um because it's like the the heritage really have you seen them before the orchestra no i haven't i've seen a bit on stage but um I haven't seen the orchestra, and, and to be honest with you, it's um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Do they do any of your tunes? I will find out. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will get you on the. I will let you know. I do not know, honestly. I don't know. I, do, I know that they might do brown paper bag. Um, do you know that there's one of the, there's like the reggae uh, Bristol reggae choir orchestra. There's different. There's different elements of um that that do i get videos of people doing my stuff all the time from all over the world so you kind of get all kind of sources into one yeah mm. how does it make you feel like you know an orchestra well potentially doing one of your tunes listen just the fact that anyone just even p- plays one of my tunes is a i feel flattered you know what i'm saying there's so much music out there and it's really hard to try and realise what a modern day classic is. We all know the, 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 the classics from the original, from when everything started, but trying to make a modern day classic, you know what I mean? Like people are still playing brown, brown Paper Bag and tracks like Trust Me and It's a Jazz Thing and those tunes were done in 1991, 1992, came out in 93. So, you know, anyone playing any of my tunes, whether it's a new tune or an old tune, I'm absolutely flattered. I wanted to ask actually about um, sort of the start when you started. I was reading that basically when you were 16, you went to house parties run by the Wild Bunch. What were they like? Incredible. Uh, you know, it's like back in the day, I wish I bumped into a guy um, who kind of documented everything the other day. His name's Beezer. Yeah. Uh, and he documented everything from, you know, from a photographic point of view. 
but there are some stuff as well where he wasn't there, which I, I can recall just me being like the only person there. And that was my school. That was where I used to be able to stand over the DJs and annoy the hell out of them and be a single audience. I remember just me just watching Nelly Hooper by myself, you know, or, you know, always you know, trying to um, get someone's attention from the wild bunch, you know what I mean? And I was really close as well with Mushroom, who was like the last the last member who joined wild bunch. So yeah. I was pretty close with him as well. Presumably yeah. to be a DJ then? Well, that was the only option. At that time, I knew that I wanted to be involved in music. So at that time, back in the day, it was a case of like, okay, you want to do music. Um, and they sat you in a classroom in school and tried to teach you how to learn about treble clefs, bass clefs, do you know what I mean, 16s and all that kind of stuff. And which now, in hindsight, I wish I would have learned. But I'm, le- I'm learning backwards now. Do you know what I mean? I'm learning, I know my sharps from my flats and my minors from my majors. Do you know what I mean? I know my sixths and my sevenths. And I know that all now. But back then, the only options that we had were, you know, maybe having a tape deck and trying to mix two tapes together with a double tape deck or, you know, having some bell drive turntables and trying to scratch with those. So it was a progression of just wanting to just be involved in music. And then DJing was the first initial, you know, tribute to wanting to make music because I couldn't afford a guitar, couldn't afford a violin, couldn't afford a piano, couldn't afford any of the expensive studio mixing boards, drum machines, you know, keyboards, computers, just couldn't afford it. So it was like, what have you got that you can make music with? Well, you know, we've got a tape deck, we've got some old vinyl, we've got this, we've got that. Let's try and put it all together. But I'm quite surprised that you didn't know um, much about sort of classic, you know, music theory and stuff back then or playing instruments because your music... Um, among other things, has always struck me as being, you know, very melodic, complicated. It's sort of, I can imagine it being made by someone who who does know quite a lot about those things. Yes, it's called self-taught. It's natural, do you know what I mean? I can look at a keyboard, I can see music. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah. I, I was just never given the opportunity, you know. I come from a time where you walk into someone's house and they would start hiding all their Star Wars memorabilia and you know, because they thought that you was gonna nick it or something. It it was it was a complicated time. We're talking about, you know, the seventies, the eighties, you know, when I was like I was quite young. And um, you know, it was it was it was it was difficult. So you you just you picked up you you hear stuff on the radio, you know, you listen to to stuff and you would just say, Well, I like the sound of that, but how's that made and you just have to just try and work out in your head and one day you get a hold of a, a, a keyboard and then you go, oh well there's some strings okay well that's an octave all right well that's you just worked it out do you know what i mean because people from bristol famously have like quite diverse musical tastes that's what they that's what they say like were you what kind of things were you listening to back then <laughs> well my mum used to have the radio on all the time that was a constant you know, nag in the background. So you always had whatever pop music was being played. Like, you know, the stuff that used to stand out for me was people like ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, maybe Peter Gabriel and Genesis. Um, you know, it's, that stuff there was drummed into you. 
well, you didn't necessarily like it, you know what I'm saying? But you would appreciate, you would like always wonder how they, you know, made certain things sound so big and so compressed and so wide and so loud and, you know, the vocal sound so clean. It was so radio-fied. It was like, it was, it was, it was school and listen to stuff on the radio. But my whole upbringing is sound system culture. And where I used to live, you used to be able to hear the bass lines from, you know, traveling up the hill to my house. And it was like the Pied Piper calling. As soon as you heard the bass line, you would just get on your high horse and then you would just stroll down the hill. There'd be sound systems playing. And it was just strictly drums, bass, vocals, do you know what I mean? And bass lines. And that was that. There was no orchestral elements involved in it, apart from when Wildbridge used to play, when they used to like, put out the chic records that's when you heard real musical orchestral music so your first record i was looking this up was um by three-way split in 1992 um how did that come about well i'll tell you how it came about um i hooked up with two of my friends uh one was called uh winston and another one was called Bonnick. Uh, they were two friends of mine who I kind of knew from just being around Bristol. And then we actually went into my brother's studio and just decided to put together a record and call it Freeway Split. And we then needed someone to back it. So we found this guy who was associated with a circus warp. His name is Chris Wharton. And um, he kind of financed it. And uh, that's why it came out on WTP Records, which is Where's the Party Records. And at the time, Easy Groove was the main man in Bristol, the DJ that everybody wanted to have a piece of. So we called it the Easy Groove Mix. You know what I mean? It's when people started putting names of DJs to associate the, 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 you know, the, the record with something that people would go, oh yeah, we know Easy Groove, bang, we're going to buy that. Yeah. And that just came about, so we went into a studio with my friend Jason Alexander as well, and then we mixed that, and that, that came out, and um, it was a crossover, it was like a reggae, breakbeat, ravey, good, good tune. Mixed down wasn't too bad for the time as well. Yeah, it's a really good tune. I was listening to it the other day, it was like very, um, I think for someone's, first record particularly it's like really really well produced yeah well you know it's the elements you, you pick the elements and the you know and you know and the message was cool but why do the wicked ones rule nothing's yeah. changed in that that respect because that, that record was in 1992 and i'd have called it probably if i had to give it um a genre i'd have probably called that hardcore record would you agree no i'd call it jungle Jungle techno, that's what I would have called it. Well, so when did you become aware that like jungle was a different thing, that it was that it wasn't just hardcore? Because there was no kick. And to me, it was more to do with a, a time and an era. I believe that music, this is my personal opinion, that it's all to do with the dates rather than the actual sounds. I believe that there was a time when it was called hardcore and then it turned into jungle techno didn't turn into something else just jungle 
You know, I mean? you you remember the phrases that the MCs used to use. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, and the people were starting to use different elements. And it's more to do with like I just felt like as soon as that four four kick drum, it wasn't in that part of a soon that is that wasn't all the way through, then it was no longer hardcore, no longer like a you know, techno or whatever. It was it became its own thing. And in that record, there's a breaks down where it just goes to just breaks, eight weight bass, and that's it. Yeah. So, that you know what I mean? That's that's not hardcore. That is that's jungle. That's still jungle now. Well, one thing that really interests me is that basically um, the four four stuff kind of became happy hardcore, and the stuff without the the bass drum became jungle. And jungle's like being so it's kind of interactive with so many different types of music. Um, like nine ninety four, you did it's a jazz thing. But why do you think? Well, for a start, how did you, why did you start using jazz then? Well, we didn't even think about it like that. It was just Lonnie Linster Smith was a, that was a great record. We had our record collection. Do you know what I mean? To be fair, we didn't really distinguish about whether it was jazz or not. It was, to me, it wasn't jazz. To me, it was jazz funk, if anything. It was funk, if anything. It was well-produced music. It was great melodies. It was great sounds. It was... It was um, whatever you had in your record collection. There was there was lots of records that we had. Do you know what I mean that we could that we still draw from now? Do you know what I mean like I cleaned all my vinyl just the other day. You know, I'm going through Mark Moulin. I'm going through oh, you know Bob James. I'm just digging in the crates, just trying to find out what really you know what makes you tickle. Do you know what I'm saying? Still to this day. Well, why do you think like jungle works with so many different kinds of music? Like you know, it works with kind of jazz elements, funk. You can have like really heavy, heavy things. You can have guitars. People have done all kinds of things, and it, it kind of works. Yeah, well, because you've got this creative in it. It's tempos, and I think there was no rules. We sat down and decided. Well, do you know what I mean? If it sounds, if it sounds good, just go with it. Do you know what I mean? You know. You take a gamble, take a risk. It's like nowadays, everything's pitched up. Um, yeah. You listen to anything on the, in the, you know, listen to the charts, listen to anything. It's all pitched up. It just sounds, you know, I, I, you know, it's hard for me to say. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it was just a time when it was experimental. You bought a sampler, you wanted to sample. You wanted to just make, we used to make music not necessarily to release. It was just making music. The fact that we released it was a bonus. Yeah. One thing I've always liked about about your work is that you've worked with a lot of the same people. It felt like you kind of had a, a gang of producers. Um, how, why? Why is that? I mean, it seemed like again, this might this is my view from the outside, but it seemed like you kind of found your group of people that you want to make music with quite early on. You know, crust of people like that, um, and stuck with them why do you think that is why do you think you formed like that really strong bond I, I, I think we stuck with each other i think we found each other nobody found anyone individually yeah i think we found each other we are all like-minded people who enjoyed working together and you know we we found a common bond with the music that's what helped us to be able to, to stick together for, through that period you know it's funny you should say that because now we've, we've all gone in different directions yeah. And, um, you know, 
and we find new people to work with. But saying that, at that time there, we were all probably at the same parties, enjoying the same vibes together, but we didn't even know each other at the time. Yeah. Which is something else that you should think about. Do you know what I mean? We imagine we were all there, but we didn't really know each other. None of us, like, you know, were familiar. And then, oh, yeah, I was there. Oh, yeah, I was there. Oh, great. And that's another common bond. Obviously, that led to rep, led to represent. Um, one of the things I'm interested about about represent is that am I right in saying you wanted to perform live right from the beginning? Well, no, you, you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was like that. Uh, what I would say that was, it was more to do with what happened. Was we were all making tunes and we were in the studio, you know, and we were working our hearts out. You know, we were doing the best that we can with what we had, and then we got signed by uh, V Recordings, and then we got signed by Talking Loud, and then once we then. Uh, started releasing all that music on Talking Loud and we created this album my A&R man turned around to me and said okay so when we go on live then and we were like oh oh yeah yeah we've got it all, all in hand so it was kind of like we called their bluff you know what I mean yeah uh, we didn't we, we didn't really know what going live meant but we were quite lucky that we went on tour with um with Talking Loud a few times and we learned you know we saw firsthand. Uh, like Galliano, bands like Galliano, we saw firsthand and what they were doing. So we picked up a lot of tips along the way. But it was like, literally, it was just like, okay, so we finished the album. They're going to say, when we go on live, then we're like, okay, um, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, we're on it, boss. We just dragged the studio uh, out of the studio and put it on stage. Hence, that's what Represent became. Were you surprised by how successful New Forms was? Because it was absolutely massive. Yeah, of course we were surprised. You know what I mean? We're, we're in our bubble. We, our goals, our intentions were never about a success rate. It was always about, you know, it was about having a job. You understand before that, we never had a job. We never, we never, we never worked. We were, we, were, we were delinquents who didn't have any, any type of like future, anything to look forward to. So for us, being signed to a record label was it was, you know, was a job. It was like, oh my god, you know, we signed off the doll. We couldn't believe it. It was, it was phenomenal. It's like, wow, you know, we've actually got a job, and um, there's no way we was gonna fuck that up or mess that up. You know, there was just not a chance. Was it a lot of pressure on you, though? Absolutely, we loved the pressure. You know. Absolutely, you know, a thousand percent. At the beginning, it wasn't. I mean, we didn't, it wasn't until we won the Mercury that the pressure really started to come in because, you know, you had to put yourself on TV and you had to learn the language of the media and be careful what you say and what you don't say. But um, before that, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't really pressure. I think that's the wrong word, but I didn't, you know, people used to, I used to come home from touring and people say, oh, what? Or hear stories about you know what was what was you doing on TV last night? It's like you know people were confused because we didn't speak about it a lot. Said so, no, it wasn't, it wasn't pressure. It was lovely. It was, it was and it still is a great time. But talking about time, you know that this is only supposed to be a twenty minute interview, right? 
All right, okay, you got to go. I will have to go soon because I do. You know, I do have an important show tonight, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Can I ask one more one more thing? Because I've always wanted to ask you about this. Um, yeah, yeah. What was it like working with Method Man? Oh, well, we worked with Method Man quite a lot, to be honest with you, and we were lucky to be around him quite a lot. Him and Red Man took us on tour, and um, that was interesting. That was really, really cool. That was fun. Do you know what I mean? To be a part of like when they was at their height, him and Redman, they just took us wherever wherever they went, we went. So myself and Crush are like the fur on the wall. And um I've actually got some really, really great video. I got like I, I recorded everything. So I've got all the videos and stuff. At one point I will decide to put online, but at the moment it's um it's for my eyes only. <laughs> You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Cupra.